people like it. So people like it, you say? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's good. That's that's what I've been told, at least. Um, I think that's a good start to this podcast. I today. think so too. Very very positive, very wholesome. <laughs> it's upbeat. It would always, it should always be that way. Always. Uh, this is episode four episode of four. our podcast, which is called Inherently Human. Uh, thank you for tuning in once again. I can't believe you've made it through four. I can't believe we've made it through four. This is going to be quite the adventure. Yeah, um, we hope that you have <laughs> diligently listened to all of the previous shows. <laughs> diligently. Yeah, because it does require diligence <laughs> to focus that long. It's about 41 minutes each time. That's quite an investment this day and age. I yeah, no, absolutely. But 41 minutes, that's about... 10 to 15 songs, I guess, so if you're listening to uh, the podcast instead of listening to music, you're expanding your mind instead of listening to the same Right, with words songs. and not just tunes, although this week I think I discovered an artist named Ani Brun, B-R-U-N. With the dots over the U? or uh, I didn't see the dots, this was on <laughs> Spotify, she has a very small voice. And she phrases unlike anyone else. Like she'll do a ballad and she'll kind of throw away the words in some weird sense instead of, oh, my love, my darling. She goes, oh, my love, my darling. You know, and it's kind of eerie and weird, but it works. It was like my heart goes out to this woman. She's vulnerable. Just, just land it all. I had to. I the had the to musical to episode. Are we gonna? <laughs> well, we don't have to. We can Insane. veer right off that. Actually, <laughs> right off the thing. Yeah. Well, go. What's her name again? Ani, I guess. A N E. Uh huh. Newer last name B R U N. All right. So I guess go Ani check Brown. her out on Spotify. Oh yes, yes. I think you will feel rewarded. She's remarkable, actually. I feel like we should. Start getting paid to uh, endorse. You know, I know people. the monetary aspect because we know we're stars. Did you realize? <laughs> I actually found out this week because I listened to a podcast about podcasts. There are five hundred and fifty thousand, five hundred fifty thousand podcasts available oh in the U.S. Oh, oh, but most people are listening to us. <laughs> so those other people should just shut down. Oh, yeah. That's my feeling. It's, it's our turn. It's our time to shine. We are the new podcast of the age. Unquestionably. <laughs> Two guys in a, a in library a study room. library study room. <laughs> yeah, we've got such a good gimmick going on here. It's It's... Remarkable that we haven't already taken off already. Where's my, where's my award? Where's my Emmy? My Oscar? My Grammy? You know, my... personally, it could just be around the corner. <laughs> I mean, I learned on this podcast that even if the podcast itself is not particularly successful, and many of them aren't, the fact is that you participated in one can mean that you're more attractive to an employer because your Ooh. personality is such 
that you're outgoing, you're mm -hmm. verbal, you're willing to share yourself with other people. It's all positives. I mean, business is like that kind of thing. So you're on the right track here. You know, hey. it's it's funny that you, you bring up uh, employers and resumes and all that kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I just got back from Bellingham, Washington, uh, where I participated in a NURSA conference. Don't know what that is. Yeah, most people wouldn't. I don't blame you. Um, so NURSA, at least to my understanding, <laughs> is professional collegiate recreation. Um, so what my huh. boss does. Yeah, Marcos. Uh, yeah, what he does, you know, that kind of thing. It's the organization. It's national and parts of Canada are part of it and... You know, it's just a good way to network, and it's a good way for rec centers all around the country and up in Canada to get ideas from each other and right. try to improve how um, things work, to engage students and employees, assessments, and how the pool works, and different ways to increase the enjoyment of rec centers and just really give to the community um and so i just i was at that trying to network trying to uh get myself a career just in case this podcast doesn't <laughs> in the unlikely event that yeah. this failed you yeah the very unlikely so you know it's the backup plan sure here's, here's i understand that perfectly was it unique to aquatics this no conference no no unfortunately so it's all of collegiate recreation, so nice. it includes intramurals and sports clubs, competitive sports, aquatics, uh, marketing, member services, all these kinds of things. In fact, um, aquatics was actually the least represented. Really? Yeah, it was tragic. Um, but I'm told, at least, and this is very uh, encouraging to me, that aquatics professionals are actually being wanted more and more. Um, just because oh, it's, it's not nice. a career path that a lot of people take. Right, exactly. And when you told me that you were on that path, I was wondering why. So maybe this brings up that whole idea of your view of your future. And I guess you felt that this conference in Bellingham was a step in the right direction because you perhaps bonded with other like-minded people, did you? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, But why aquatics? Is it simply that you love the environment surrounding a swimming pool, a big pool at a campus, for example? What is it? What is it about you that what, makes you want to get into that business? It's, what makes aquatics so appealing? Yeah. Oof. That's a that's a hard one. I think, <clears throat> you know, when we go back to nature versus nurture, all in all of this, it's why. Right, right, um, right. You so, gotta unpack it. Right here and now in front of everyone. <laughs> in front of everyone. This is recorded. This is this is me. This is a document. <laughs> this is how it man. be. Um, so I guess when I was young uh, I think I was about three when I moved into the house that I lived in until I mean, up until yeah to until Hawthorne I moved to Portland. Apartment, yeah. Um, the parent, the parents, the the house that my parents still live in today. Um, it had a pool in the backyard, and so something that my parents were very adamant about doing was putting me and my siblings through swim lessons. And so we learned to swim from a very young age. Yeah. Um, at a point where 
we'd have pool parties and then me and my siblings would just be around swimming around and all of our friends would still be in like life jackets and oh, all these flotation devices. Yeah. I think it was uh my parents bragging about how awesome us children were. Great job, mom and dad. And you had mobility. <laughs> you had mobility in the water. That must have seemed very freeing, especially when you're watching other people that just couldn't handle it. Yet. Yeah, exactly. It was it was very interesting to watch my my friends who still couldn't swim very well, and I'm just oh yeah, doing laps, doing everything I need to do. Going underwater yeah, at will, exactly. not afraid of anything. Opening my eyes, thinking I'm the coolest shit around. It's it was wild, and so I think that. Uh, really started my my love for water, mm-hmm. um, and so that continued. And we always had the pool, so we always swam all the time. I loved going to rivers and everything, and you know lakes if we had time. And uh, eventually, when my sister convinced me, have I have I told the story of how I became a lifeguard? No. Um, oh, oh. So funny story. Um, my sister was on swim team for our high school and she was a very good swimmer, very good swimmer. And she got a flyer one day, uh, for a lifeguard course. And she was like, Aiden, we should take this lifeguard course. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't think I'd be super into lifeguarding or I don't, I don't think I'd be good enough. Um, really? Because, okay. Yeah. So she was a sophomore at the time. How old were you? I was a freshman, oh. freshman in high school, and I tried out for swim team. I tried, and I got cut. <laughs> I got cut from swim team, and then I want to say six, eight months later, I think, I became a lifeguard, just to really shove it in their faces that they got it wrong. But, oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Um, but my sister was like, you know, we should, we should, we should become lifeguards. We could totally do it, Aiden. I don't want to do it alone. And so I was like, I don't know if I'd be totally into it, or I don't know if I'd be good at it. And that's when she told me, well, that sucks because I already signed you up. <laughs> <laughs> so I never had a choice. And so the lifeguard life was thrusted upon me by my sister, and then it was just downhill from there. And it was my first real paying job being a lifeguard, so I was there all the time, I was yeah. working all the time, I felt awesome, I thought I was the coolest shit. Now why? You started out not liking the idea, I guess, because you didn't think you could do it, mm-hmm. and then somehow there was some element of the experience that wasn't just neutral, but made you feel better about yourself in some way. I mean, was it that other people, by definition, were dependent on you because you had the power to save their lives? Was it that obvious, or was there something else about it? So it's interesting how you bring that up. Um, so I have felt like throughout my life, I have been someone who focuses more on the safety and enjoyment, pleasure of others before myself. Oh, And so becoming a lifeguard, becoming CPR, AD, first aid, All of which are required. All are required, professional level. Yeah. um, To ensure the enjoyment of an area and the safety of other people was something that really resonated with me without me ever noticing. Mm. Um, and so it gave me 
purpose. Almost. Yes, gotcha. Um, I like that. Yeah, it feels really good. Um, there's a oh, there's a Japanese philosophy, I believe, and I'm totally gonna butcher this because I'm getting this off the top of my head. But there's um, three things that you focus on when you do anything, uh, whether it's a hobby or a job or anything like that. There's the passion of it. Mm-hmm. There's the need for it. And then there's your ability. And I, I could be totally wrong in this, but no, I'm going to say That part makes sense. It really does. <laughs> and so your purpose, so this is a way that they define the meaning of life almost. So it's need, passion, and ability. Mm-hmm. Those are the three essential elements to choosing a, what? A, a, a purpose for yourself. Ah, okay. So what are you good at? Does it satisfy a need? Yeah. And do you like it? Do you have a passion for it? And right. if all of those three things intersect, mm-hmm. that's your purpose. And you found that to be true. For and yourself. I absolutely did. I feel I have a great passion for lifeguarding, or else I wouldn't have the massive tattoo on my calf. I um, <laughs> guess I'm, you know, not up to speed on your tattoo. What is it? I'm surprised you haven't seen it. I, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> not looking at my legs a whole lot. <laughs> um, so on the back of my right calf, I have a giant lifeguard tube. You know what? Oh, <laughs> no. I thought you were going to say an orca or no, something no, no, like no, no, that. No, 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 no. Oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you necessarily know what, what is it called, a lifeguard a tube? A lifeguard tube, so the, the it's big a flotation. It's a flotation device that at least at Portland State Rec, the lifeguards carry with them. It seems to be made out of foam. It's colored red. red usually. And it has ropes extending, loops of rope extending from both ends of this oblong, long, oblong foam thing thing yeah yeah and so i've got that tattooed on my calf wow man that's commitment and then additionally yes (laughs) i uh i've never seen it either yeah i I see you in your shorts all the time i don't know (laughs) too much eye contact i guess (laughs) eyes are here Um, Uh, yeah hey (laughs) (laughs) um so i for my the summer trip that i was going to take that I had talked about previously, and we've had a lot of This last summer, 2018, yeah. it was aborted because of the forest fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that you wanted to do and were hired for was canceled. Yep. Um, I bought a personalized rescue tube. That says your name on it. has my name on <laughs> it. Manufactured especially for Aiden yep. DeBoard. Exactly. Right? It's hanging up on my wall right now. It's got my name on it. It's a really good material. The The ropes are perfect. And on each end, I have brass uh, rings nice. instead of plastic. And then I've got a hook on it so I can hook it up to things. And, oh, I, didn't, I never got to use it. <laughs> and it's called a rescue tube? A rescue tube is what it, we call it. You know, I think every profession has its fetishes, kind <laughs> of. Forgive me for using the word, but I'm really talking about myself. My oh, well, I mean, there are other ways to define fetish. Thank you very much. But I'm that way about microphones. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. For example, I know that this is an Electra Voice mm-hmm. microphone, and I know that it's a good one, and I know that they're commonly used... This model at 
TV news operations for yeah. the reporter out in the field, mm-hmm. and Electro Voice makes radio station mics. In fact, one of my early jobs I used one. So it's kind of something you fall in love with. Yeah. If you have Absolutely. a passion mm-hmm. for your job, I think it's just human nature. You you find elements, you find objects that to you represent emotionally what you do and what you love. The symbol. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, obviously, you have a passion for this. Sure. So, in your career that you've, you know, since retired from, Mm -hmm. do you feel like those three... Thing. Yeah, I do. So, I mean, I could I could define uh, my life that way. Even when I was uh, a disc jockey, I mean, I started when I was seventeen at a little radio station in Hillsboro, and I wasn't very good at all. But what I told myself, and I remember the first day I was ever on the air, and I came home and I went down in the basement where we had our TV room, and I lay on the sofa, and I felt this overwhelming pleasure like I don't think I've ever had since and never had before. Yeah. This utter joy of having accomplished what I wanted. But I told myself that I was bringing the world over the microphone to the people Mm -hmm. that they themselves loved me. Yeah. And I was, after a while pretty good at it (laughs) and so it was self-validating I mean I didn't necessarily need anyone to tell me right because I tell myself oh yeah you're good pal oh hell yeah looking (laughs) in the mirror like you you look at that man we didn't say we wouldn't put it that way but yeah you know so it's it's wild to think that there are things like this out for everybody. Really? It's true. It's absolutely the case. I really think so. No matter what you do, what it is, there's something out there for each and every person that fulfills a need, you have the ability for, and you're passionate about it. And those three things come together. It might take a few or 12 years to figure it out. But, I mean, you just kind of got to keep looking, and you'll, you'll eventually get that feeling that Jim's talking about where it's like, this really clicks with me. This really feels right. And you know, uh, what is coming up for me right now is the value of lifeguards. Because I had a really dramatic experience at a friend's wedding in Hawaii. The day after the wedding. Mm -hmm. We all went to the beach and I... Uh, had flippers on and a mask and it made me feel invulnerable. Mm -hmm. I just felt that there was no way because the flippers could get me anywhere I wanted to go that I had to worry about the depth of the water. So I just started swimming perpendicularly west from the beach Mm -hmm. and got out into deep water and I was disappointed because there were no fish. So I decided to go to the jetty which was directly to my left And I started swimming in that direction. But what was weird is I didn't move at all. 
And so I swam a little hard. Well, you know this kind of story. You know yeah. what's happening to oh, me. Oh, yeah. I am in a current. I don't realize it at all. I'm slowly becoming horribly exhausted. I rip off my mask. I had a snorkel, too. Well, I couldn't breathe through a tube oh, anymore. Yeah, no. I needed all the air I could get. And it was as though my flippers were making my legs work too hard. Yep. And I saw the end coming up for me because it was very clear that I was losing energy, that I couldn't take in enough oxygen in order to feed my system. Right. And I was going down. And at that exact moment, I heard a voice say, are you okay, Jim? And it turned out to be the bridegroom who hadn't been part of our party. He had stopped about a mile up to the up the beach, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes previously or maybe more. I hadn't seen him or thought about him. Somehow he saw me out there. He saw me take off my mask. He swam out. It took all my guts to admit that I was in trouble. So I wanted to say, no, no, I'm fine. No, I got it. But I don't know what happened exactly right after that, but I found myself at the jetty. Mm -hmm. He must have aided me in some way. And I really think that I would have died, and it wasn't a couple of, but a couple of days later, walking on the beach slightly north of there, that there was a little memorial including a photograph of a guy who died just a few days before. And he was young and fit. Yeah. And so Colby saved me mm -hmm. that day, I have no doubt. Mm -hmm. And uh, a scuba diver friend of mine that I know was describing to me my own feeling at that moment, that certainty that I was going to die. And he called it doom thinking. And he says it's very familiar to people who are scuba divers, that you want to avoid that feeling because it's almost self-predictive. Yeah. That when you anticipate that you're going to die, you don't really have a way to help yourself anymore mm -hmm. because you really believe that's the future. It's it. That's it. That's how it's going to end. So. <clears throat> so you, as an expert, I just wonder. Yeah. You are in a position where sometimes actually. Changing the narrative and saving people oh, in yeah. that kind of case. Um, so in the CPR first aid classes that I teach, we go over a lot of heart attack stuff. Ah. And in, in the American Red Cross videos and all the books and everything, one of the symptoms of a heart attack is impending sense of doom. Whoa. So it's, it's interesting because it's... That's just you giving up, essentially. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm going to die, that's all there is. And realistically, without any external help, you would. And yeah. so it's... The, the way that the human mind knows that it's going to die is terrifying. Say more. I mean, it's... It's hard to talk about just because I obviously I've never been in this situation. I may have assisted in stopping a situation like this, but I don't think I've ever, I don't think I could ever really say enough about it. But 
to think that your body knows exactly what will happen to itself um, is it's it's very scary to think that we just can die at any moment and we'll know. Well, <laughs> I can fill in the blanks a little bit. Yeah, what please and thank you. Talk about because I'm, I'm floundering here. <laughs> I remember that uh, I was really, really angry with myself. Right. Because ten months earlier, I'd had back surgery, mm-hmm. and so what I was saying to myself. I mean, I I actually had a narrative going on in my head, and I said. So, you were out of the hospital less than a year ago, and you swam out here with no one around, nobody swimming for you. You're now at least in 20 feet of water, and you're surprised that you're exhausted. I didn't know at that time. It turned out that there had been uh, the sudden appearance of a slipstream or something like that. Undercurrent. That caught everyone and was washing everyone out. They had the rescue sea-dudes out towing people back and all that kind of stuff. So it really happened. I didn't know anything about that, but I thought it was all because I was just out of the hospital and now I had shown little concern for my own well-being and I was going to pay the ultimate price. And I really believe I would have had Colby not miraculously been there for you. Yeah, shown up. It was amazing. So I guess at the end of it all, what would you say the lesson is for this? What did you learn? (laughs) Well... (laughs) Um, so there's, there's always a, a lesson at the end of a traumatic experience, uh, so tells all media. I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, prudence, well, I'll tell you that I will, despite the seductions of the tropical fish and the warm water off the coast of Hawaii, mm-hmm. um, I would have to make sure that... I was effectively in the shallows and could stand up. I wouldn't joyously splash my way out into deep water thinking I could get back. I mean, I'd be a lot more prudent, a lot more aware of my environment. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I'm not sure I really have a takeaway. You know, it's unfortunate that in many cases, such as having a heart attack or something, it's almost like something you don't think of in the moment where you could be causing yourself a heart attack unless you actually get one. And I've exerted myself on the trail or carrying gear. I think I've hurt my body that way mm-hmm. when I was working in production and carrying equipment, you know, tripods and batteries and all the heavy stuff that has to come along. Um, I just trusted my body was a mule and would work its way through it. So, uh, I didn't get a heart attack and therefore I didn't learn the lesson that you could have one, even though I know objectively it's possible. I think the best thing to take away from this story, this experience, um, and this goes out for everybody. And this is the, the, the born and raised lifeguard in me. Yeah. I mean, really focus on your safety. Take water safety classes. Learn to swim. Learn to swim well. Be prepared for it. I mean, I can't 
encourage safety enough. Um, I talked to my dad about it, and he says, safety is my top three, or safety's in my top three. And <clears throat> and he does that because of his work with electricity? I mean, that's, that's... just what he does, okay. um, which might have something to do with why I focus so much on it, another one of those nature versus nurture things, that they instilled a great amount of safety in me. And then, of course, my immense amount of training with lifeguarding and CPR and first aid really just reinforces that. So, I mean, if you have an opportunity to take a CPR, first aid, AED class, or any kind of safety class, I highly, highly encourage you to do it. Um, it, the, the skills are invaluable. They truly are. Um, I very highly believe in the safety of other people. My whole career path is focused on the teaching of that. Uh, yeah, teaching yeah. swim lessons so people can be safe in water, teaching of CPR, first aid, because I want people to be reliant on others, you know? I want people to be able to go out and be able to save someone or at least help in any way should the fit hits the, hit the shan, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. It's something that happens far more often than we realize. Well, like, Kobe, look, it turned into just a mundane anecdote. Yeah. Which we joked about at dinner that night. Mm-hmm. But I know that absent Kobe swimming up to me and knowing what to do. Yeah. And, you know, he's a coach and physical trainer and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. he probably had the chops to save me in the right way, right. I imagine. Mm-hmm. But absent him, it would have been, uh, you know, a, a third page local story in Honolulu. And then another an entry in the, in the obituary. Yep. Oh my God. So it's eerie in that way. Yeah, no, that's, I can't imagine going through something like that. And realistically, in my young life, I probably have, and I just don't realize it. I don't know. Well, I've, that's another point. I don't yeah. think we introduced ourselves. <laughs> I, we, we should. We're we now about, to 30 minutes in. Yeah, we're 30 minutes in, and your name is Aiden DeBoard, right? Correct. That's I'm me. I'm Jim Newman. <laughs> and one of the interesting, perhaps compelling hooks that you could consider when you listen to this podcast. This is our shtick. This is our shtick. He's 20 and I'm 72. And so we're talking over this generational barrier to try to somehow find common ground between the generations. That's all we care about. Just reaching out. Touching people. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now I'm going too far. Respect your elders. Yeah, always remember. (laughs) Was that the takeaway? I'm not sure that was the takeaway. Almost died. Uh, Let's make sure we're nice to old people. Yeah. It could have happened, but, you know, I mean, I know what you mean about seeing in your career Mm -hmm. some real solid personal value, something that you bring to it that you know is essential to the world, as you say. Uh, Rescuing people in need of rescue is one, or teaching people how to avoid risks themselves. That's another, Mm -hmm. you know? 
And in my career, I ended up not being in radio and not being a disc jockey, but I wrote scripts for a TV show uh, about the outdoors and about the environment. And I, through the medium, through the use of the camera and sound and everything, could take people to places they had never been. And in a way, I thought to myself that my value here is that I can bring something magical to someone in their living room. Yeah. You know? The need for just this out-of-the-ordinary exposure to the world. And I think that's very important for a lot of different reasons. Um, I mean, if no one knows the value of nature... What was the show called again? Oregon Field Guide. It's still on the air on Oregon Public Broadcasting. Um, So, I mean, just understanding the value of the world around you Mm -hmm. um, is drastically important i think there are so many great things about oregon and just like all of our nature and all of our landscape that people need to know about it um before it's gone for example uh the wildfires you know i mean i was about to go out and i was going to enjoy it all and then all of a sudden it was all taken away from me yeah and so i really appreciate things like that that can show me even if I can't go out and physically do it myself, that there is beauty out there. There's a need for me to see that. I want to see that. I, I need that. I just, I need it. I need that. Somehow your <laughs> that soul, your soul can ingest mm-hmm. the landscape in a yeah. way. I mean, just the vastness of formations that are the result of eroded volcanic ash which sculpts the landscape into the weirdest formations it looks like i imagine and may well be that mars looks like that and there are places in oregon that are positively eerie Mm. and you can just hear the wind coming at you and for miles and miles these strange red formations that you can walk through and get lost in. Yeah. And I don't know, it gives you a purity of thought or it does something to your mind, which is kind of essential, really. I think to mental balance, if you can get there, if you can go out there right. and see this stuff. And the, the next best thing, at least, is knowing mm-hmm. that such landscapes exist. Yeah. Um even if you can't make it out to these beautiful, beautiful areas and experience it for yourself, at least kind of knowing about it and maybe thinking someday, yeah, yeah. that's what I can strive for. It gives someone a goal. It gives someone a purpose to go out and then experience this. Right. And so, I mean, you had a very clear passion for this. You sacrificed your own body. <laughs> so this That's could, what yeah. I did. I sacrificed my... Way to, way to be our, our martyr. Um, <clears throat> and so you, you had a very clear passion for it. Um, your ability to do so was incredible. You had the opportunity. You had the strength to do it. You had the will. And you had the te- technological know-how. Yeah, just, and the technology is you know, getting better and better. Right. I mean, you can take more and more of those landscapes back with you because the resolution of the image is so much better. Mm-hmm. And then we identified a need. 
And so all three of those things in your life came together so perfectly to, you know, have a purpose. And so it gives life a little bit more meaning. Um, Where did you find all this? This is all from you now. You, You said it was a Japanese philosophy? I believe. It's a Japanese philosophy. Say it I, again. We're outlining that philosophy <laughs> one more time, please. And so there's probably people who are listening who are like, ah, no, 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 no. That's not well, what it is. Okay, but, but still, is, whatever the origin, <laughs> and it is your version, so that's um, what's important here. I guess what is it? My version is <clears throat> there's passion, there's need, and there's ability. And if you can fulfill all three of those you know, criteria. Yeah. In a job or a hobby or something, that's your purpose. Right. That's what you were meant to do. Because you love it, so you're willing to do it. You have the ability to do it, so, you know, it can be done. Yeah. There are others in need, or even yourself, in need of this task. And so... A lot of people believe, and myself included, as you could tell before, is that... To live is to live for other people. Interesting. That's a nice philosophy, yeah. And so you can't be so self-centered to a point where you're the only person who matters, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, nobody likes a person like that. And so focusing your energy on helping others and making sure that their life is as satisfactory as it can be or the best that it can be is fulfilling, And I know for a fact that when I'm done with swim lessons and I know for a fact that that kid is going to swim and they now have a new skill that they can go off and they can enjoy and they can be in these areas while safe and fun and it's just, it really brings a lot of light to my heart to know that I help this person with this thing brings a lot of light to your heart yeah that's sappy and i know no, man i think that's cool i mean you can say it just brings me a lot of personal satisfaction you could say that it means the same thing but yeah fair. he said brings a lot of light to my heart god bless you man that's cool yeah. i like that i'm a poet and i uh i'm realizing <laughs> nice save i gotta Thank say you. um but yeah so just kind of bringing those things Three criteria together, really striving for that gives you kind of a goal. And I hope that the people listening to this, uh, all y'all out there, really take this kind of, this, this message to heart, knowing that if you haven't found it yet, it's out there. It truly is. There's someone, there's something that's out there that needs your ability, and it's something that you love. And... It may take a bit. You may not get it until you're, you know, Jim's age. And, but it's out there. And it feels so good once you find it. And all of this discussion started with me asking you uh, about how you got into swimming. So, we've sort of come full circle (laughs) now. Ideally, you, after you graduate, Mm -hmm. will do what? You will find... Uh, some sort of aquatic position. I don't know if that means multiple pools under one roof somehow, or what is available for a guy like you with that kind of a mission in hand? So, you know, that's kind of hard because there's a lot of fluctuation. There's a lot of chance that goes into this. With 
Marcos, my boss right now, and Craig, my boss before him, both of them were in NURSA, the organization that I'm in, the one, the conference that I went Up to in, in Bellingham. Bellingham yeah. um, and they both got graduate assistantships, so they got their master's done as they were professionally working for an aquatics facility for a college. Um, and then, ideally, I go down that same route, and then it's from there, either I find a public pool run by a parks district, perhaps, or I find a college campus that has an aquatics program, and I run that, whether or not that's a dozen pools or one pool like I'm at right now, whether that includes a safety and risk management program where people are teaching others and... There's a swim lesson program, there's a first aid program, and all these other kind of things. I mean, it, it truly, there's no way to tell what will happen. No, not um, now. Not yeah. now. And there's so many different environments and so many different facilities that have immensely different ways of doing things. Mm. And so I'm, honestly, I'm just kind of going down this path, trying to network myself out there to eventually come across something. Ultimately, my goal is to try and help the most amount of people while still fulfilling this this need, this purpose. Yeah. Where I'm providing a service for swimmers and families and kids where they can take swim lessons and people can take uh, first aid classes and CPR where I'm I'm spreading the knowledge that I've gained throughout all these years while still, you know, being in this aquatic environment. That Which you enjoy yourself. Exactly. This wet hmm. area. Well. Wet and humid. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So energy and mission, I guess, mm-hmm. are the tools that you need right now to find your niche, whatever it is. I guess. I need a lot of luck, too. That's that's certainly a part of it. And uh, when I went up to the NURSA conference, I was talking to someone from UNLV, University of Las Vegas, I believe. That'd be a cool place. Yeah, and they said... Uh, Meet Celine Dion, I, I guess. That'd be really good. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, maybe I'll save Celine Dion from a, from a pool be. accident. Yeah. Possible. Tell her not to run on the pool deck. Ooh, wow, that would be interesting. Maybe I could tell Brittany the same thing. Sure. Brittany Spears. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. Uh, the future holds so much for me, and hell, maybe I don't even do that, and this podcast really does take off, and I say that by episode four, and then we don't make it past ten. Yeah. But we'll see. Maybe get a hip job in radio in New York City. Ah, <laughs> uh, whatever else is true, you'll notice... 42 minutes. Yeah. Ouch. All right. Well, I think I think I've said my take then. <laughs> Are you satisfied? I, you got it all in. <laughs> I think I think I've got whatever I need to say out about lifeguarding and I guess one last plug before we go. Take a CPR class. Get some first aid training. Take a swim lesson. Really learn how to swim. Keep yourself safe. Wear a bike helmet. I say that hypocritically. I don't wear one. Um, And that's for a whole mess of reasons. Um, But stay safe. And encourage safety among others, I guess. And there you have it. And there we have it. 
It was a pleasure, um, and we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, of Inherently Human. Thanks for listening.